it's about just making the sacrifice to do what you really want and spending time to reflect and decide what it is that you really want and what's really important to you. Zig Ziglar came to my, I don't know if it was kindergarten, first grade. For some reason, he was doing a speech in my town, and he came to our little school. He gave all of us a little wooden nickel that was a, said T-U-I-T on it. It was a round to it. And he said, the next time someone says, I'll do that when I get around to it, give them this. And now you have a round to it. And so to me, I've always been about making life happen. Like I would much rather make something happen and it turn out negative than wait for something to happen and not know if it would or not. And I think that just striving for enjoying life you know i feel like that's why we were here is to enjoy life and share it with others hey guys this is hunter levine and thank you for listening to the captain's collective podcast brought to you by skinny water culture hell's bay boatworks turtle box audio traeger grills costa sunglasses and orvis fly fishing Recently on a trip to Tampa, I spent the night hanging out on the porch with Court Dalfit till the early hours of the morning. While recording this podcast, Court shares with us how he went from being a kid running around the creeks in the Midwest to a short-lived career of climbing trees in Seattle to eventually finding his way to his home waters of Tampa Bay. Court makes some insightful parallels between hiking and fishing the flats and shares with us some honest lessons he learned from working through a difficult season following a divorce, a season which included an 11-month camping trip in the Florida Everglades to find healing and, of course, fish for tarpon. Court now runs an immersive fishing operation in Tampa, where guests can stay at a guidehouse, learn about fishing, and explore the waters night and day. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please help us out by leaving a review and continuing to share with others. Thank you for listening. This is The Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making enough fish you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Let's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey, Court, thanks for hanging out, man. It was great to be with you today at Tailwater Outfitters and getting to sneak a peek at what you guys have going on with the fly tying night. Excited to get on the water tomorrow, have what a little a, fun. What a blast, huh? Yeah, man, like, it was great. We had maybe 12, 15 people there. Yeah. yeah. We had uh, at least two people that had never tied a fly before. Yeah, and I was so, one of them. That's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I look like one of them. I mean, it's not, not what the fly looked like at the end of it. There were two people that li- literally never tied a fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, man, it's great to be back in Tampa Bay and to be sitting out here on this beautiful dock right now. Super blessed. Man, like, beautiful night. Little windy. Right by the water. In, Perfect. Yeah, hoping it'll die down a little bit for tomorrow, but... Man, I'm excited. You know, you're you're one of those people who, over the past couple of years, I think really early on, I had a few people point me in your direction, and and uh, you know, had people say, "Man, you got to talk to Court. You got to talk to Court. He's he's an, an, an interesting guy." <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been talking about getting together and doing a doing a podcast for a while. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think it's it's one of those things that it, you know, I I was I was talking to your wife earlier, and I was like, it either happens in a day, right? Or a year. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah. but there's um man it's 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 great to be here man I, I got a lot of questions but i, I first just want to hear the story because i know you have an interesting story about how you got into fishing and how you found your way to tampa bay and, and became a guide and and now you're working with saltwater specialist and i want to hear the story about how it all began yeah so um i mean i grew up in the midwest um running around creeks um which was still kind of a shallow water fishery you know we, we were smallmouth bass largemouth bass in the ponds catfishing in the ohio river um pretty much always been infatuated with either being on the on the water next to the water outside riding dirt bikes um my parents didn't have cable until after i had gone to college <laughs> that's a blessing absolutely um tell my son that I have, I have a 14 year old that just got we we haven't had a tv in our house since he's been born yeah we don't <laughs> but, either so yeah that's interesting we, yeah we, we just let him get a tv during uh covid because he wasn't getting to hang out with his friends at all so he has a tv in his room where he can play video games with his buddies and yeah it's what he's into so uh, as long as it doesn't interfere with schoolwork or you know yeah, for I, sure. I feel so like he's still pretty well-rounded, even though he has a TV in his closet. So you're growing up, so. you're chasing, you know, smallmouth, you're riding dirt bikes, you're doing all the yeah. best things. And then I went to college at uh, Indiana University for Park and Recreation Administration. I was on the bass fishing team there. Uh, we had a club bass fishing team. There wasn't any scholarships or anything like that. Uh, it cost us, I think, $75 a year to be on the bass fishing team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I did that and I moved out to Seattle for three and a half years. I was a tree climber out there and uh, got into salmon fishing okay. and mountain biking, salmon fishing, all the, all the mountain sports. And then uh, I had a girlfriend that wanted to move to Florida and I was like, man, that seems like a horrible <laughs> idea. It's, isn't it supposed to be salt, like sandy and hot there? And I came down here and met an older gentleman named uh, Jim Nielsen, Dr. Jim Nielsen. And he introduced me to fly fishing for tarpon. And it was just wrecked me. <laughs> all I thought about. And it's been 21 years now. So let me back up a little bit. So your degree was Parks and Recreation. Park and Recreation Administration. Um, my minor is in underwater resource management. Okay, very so interesting. During college, I found out that you could get credits for going on research trips. And so for the next three and a half years, I spent every potential opportunity in Pennacamp State Park in Key Largo yeah. doing whatever I could do to get credits um so what GIS was, the, what was the game plan i mean was the game plan to be a to help run a national park i mean i mean originally when i went into it i went into it because i had taken a couple of years off high school and got a job in airlines i loved to travel and so i was traveling as much as i could i could fly for free so i traveled a a, a ton in in that two two and a half years and I had already reached a point where I needed a degree, not for the next job, but the job after that. Okay. And they didn't care what the degree was in. They just wanted me to have a four-year degree in something. Okay. And so I had, I had friends that, <clears throat> the several of the male friends that I was running around with at the time started getting in trouble and making questionable life decisions and a few of the female friends that i had were in college and so they called me and were like you know you can get a degree in park and recreation administration you could be you could run a national park and i was like yeah that is actually right up my alley yeah and so that was kind of the initial thought was become a manager of a national park you know live in a national park and full benefits and so I talked to an advisor and he's like, oh yeah, that's absolutely a possibility. When I graduated school, I started to realize that the only way you get that job is by 
25 years of very low wages <laughs> and <laughs> doing the very menial jobs in a national yeah. park and hopefully the right person dies at the right time that you get to be the manager of a national park. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't seem like something that's like, now, wait a minute, you have a degree and, you know, you're 25 years old. Let's hire you to run yeah, a national yeah, park. There's yeah. not a lot of people. We're, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna pay you, you know, a, a good salary to run a national park. So um, I, I never really pursued that. I started running a kid's camp right outside of college. My, my uh, internship was with the city of Bloomington, and I ran an inclusive kid's camp. For teenagers mm-hmm. so it was teenagers um w- with disabilities or currently not having any disabilities and uh that was really awesome i i did that for a while and then decided i wanted to live where the mountains met the ocean and moved out to seattle and i had a i had a pretty good background in climbing i i, I also taught a kids camp for rock climbing and so I had a friend, his uncle was a, a high up in a, a tree company, national tree company. So mm-hmm. he was like, you know, Cord, if you find somewhere you want to move, give me a call. I'll see if I can get you an interview. And so I interviewed with a company out in Seattle and became a tree climber for three and a half years. Wow. Climbing big trees, right? I, I mean, mean, full size trees. Yeah in so full size what i we, pacific like, northwest right like so we, we're talking we, <clears throat> yeah you know in in a in a in a full size douglas fir your first branch is at 50 feet and so you throw a rope over that first branch at 50 feet and climb the rope up there wow. grab all that branch and then you can climb the rest of the tree fairly easily yeah but yeah you know 100 foot trees were no big deal every any given monday yeah so you know for you was it always you wanted to do something outdoors? I mean, that's... I mean, I, I do. I, yeah, I feel like I definitely am drawn to outdoors jobs. I don't have any desire to spend every day inside. Yeah. And I feel like some people are like, oh, it's rainy or it's hot or it's, you know, whatever the climate is, is what it is. I, I would still prefer to be outside. Yeah. And, and probably been that way my entire life. So... Talk to me about that transition from Seattle to Florida, because that's a big, you talked about it's really it's hot. Almost, and there's a lot of sand. Almost I mean, 180, right? I yeah. mean, and you're talking about almost as far as you could potentially drive across the United States. Yeah. Um, so we decided to move to Florida, and one of my stipulations was I will move to Florida, but I am not even considering looking for a job for the first three months. I'm gonna buy a kayak and learn how to fish there. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as I moved here, I happened to fall into a, a, a really awesome group of guys that we, we just hit it off, and they, they kind of put me under their wing, showed me how to bait fish, um, which I I still like to bait fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm definitely not a, not a purist. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I got in with those guys and then we wound up, I wound up meeting up with a guy named Dr. Nielsen, Jim Nielsen. And we, his wife and, and my girlfriend kind of hit it off and they were like, so we, we'd meet once a week or so downtown Dunedin and have drinks and a few different times he was like you know you want you want to learn how to you want to go fly fishing for tarpon and about the third or fourth time i was like jim you don't have to ask me that anymore like don't ask me that anymore in fact yeah just tell me when we're going and he's like what about friday and i said let me call my boss i'm i'm pretty sure i'm in yeah and we went out with our buddy fred glenn and his buddy fred glenn and we hooked a hundred plus pound fish down uh, Fort DeSoto area, and I I was I don't know if I said anything else for the rest of that boat ride. It was just blew me away. Mm. I, I was hooked, and twenty one years later, that's I I can still see that fish eat plain as day. Yeah. So 
So coming from smallmouth fishing, playing in streams and creeks, which as a kid, some of my best memories are running around and playing in creeks and stuff when my dad would take me on those types of trips. Yeah. Um, really beautiful, calm. I mean, you know, sure, maybe a fly, you know, maybe you get a topwater eat on a, you know, fly or something like right. that, dry fly. Then then you get them, you go over to Seattle, your mountains, it's beautiful, you're climbing trees. So that's kind of adrenaline junkie stuff, but none of right. that has, is anything like, you know, tarpon fishing. I what mean, about it? It is, it, it all, it all, it absolutely, in my opinion, is, um, snowshoeing um has a lot to a lot of similar qualities as tarpon fishing Mm -hmm. um hiking has a ton of similar aspects as push pull on a flat you know it's just slowly um not necessarily even just observing nature but just being there and being part of it okay and trying to absorb what's going on watch what's happening around you um snowshoeing you're watching kind of how the land is laid where avalanche is going to happen where you're going to have easier way of walking same thing with reading the water is looking at how things are happening why they're happening for that reason and trying to put together the pieces of you know where these fish are gonna are gonna traverse to you though, having all those previous experiences and encountering that moment and that moment standing out to you, I guess, amongst the rest, this is kind of, I guess what I was getting at, what was special about it? Ah, man. Everything. It was, uh, you know, to have a older, older gentleman than myself showing me something that, Mm -hmm. I, I kind of consider myself an outdoorsman at that time, but to show me something that was completely foreign to me, yet just one of the most majestic things I've ever seen. Um, done a little bit of deer hunting, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I often compare fly fishing for tarpon to bow hunting for big game. Um, most of the time it's not gonna work out in a hero picture. You know, it's, it's, you're not getting something that you can show off to all your friends and say, look what I did. When someone shows you a picture of a whitetail that they killed with a bow and arrow, most people don't put together the amount of effort and energy that went into making that happen. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the tarpon. It's, uh, you're, you really have to be dedicated to it to consistently succeed at it absolutely so talk me into from that moment so you come down you're kayak fishing you learn about live bait i'm assuming mostly redfish snook and tarpon and tarpon tarpon was was a no i mean i i made friends with guys with boats okay so then you get into the boats now i I see how this is unfolding yeah i joined a boat club like six months after living here Okay, so and, now you have uh, access. So now I have access to a somewhat of a fishing boat. And that lasted for about a year. Okay. Uh, at the same time, still any opportunity I could potentially squeeze onto somebody else's boat going out with people that were really fishing for real. Okay. And and then discovering the tarpon on the fly really got to me. And... Uh, I was like, how do I acquire a boat and try to get out there and do this for myself Mm -hmm. and acquiring used fly rods. Um, you know, I never had a a matching fly rod and reel or, you know, a 12 weight that matched my nine weight or anything like that for a really long time that it was, uh, (laughs) you know, whatever I could put together. Yeah to make it happen but i was incredibly drawn and committed to trying to figure out how to be out there as much as possible so what did that tell me more about that season because i think that that's something that's interesting to me so i interviewed a guy john dunaway and he said something i thought was really good and he was just talking about you know people always make excuses Mm -hmm. and 
They make excuses why they can't go do the things that they want to do. And then he said, they'll say this phrase to the people who are doing it. They say, oh, it must be nice. And that right. really, that, that, that really um, stood out to me. I was fishing with John a couple of weeks ago, and, and, we, and I was just kind of picking his brain even more on that. Because to me, I think as humans, our, our default be- becomes just making excuses why we don't fish more, why we can't you know, I mean, allocate that money. So for all, you, what, we I, all have this exact same amount of seconds in a day. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's what you want to do with them, what's important to you. Um, I've never had a, a new truck or um, up, in, up until a year, year and a half ago or so, I've never had a new boat. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been okay with driving what I could afford and trying to live within my means so I could afford, I guess, to do those things. Um, mm-hmm. So when you say, when people say it must be nice, they don't necessarily know the whole story. Mm. You know, it's easy to look at something and figure that that must have been easy. Um, but you got you got you got to put the energy in. Yeah, you know, it has to be something that's worth it to you. So, what did that season look like for people that are either reflecting back on that season of life, or they're in that season, or they want to get in that season? I mean, you know, there's a, I guess there's a there's there are people you meet a lot of people and they're right on the edge. They're right on the edge of falling in and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna spend money on a bunch of things I don't love as much. I'm not gonna worry about keeping up with the Joneses. I'm gonna go all in, I'm gonna be obsessed with this, I'm gonna surround myself with this and make this a priority. And they're right on the edge. And they haven't done it yet. They, they Maybe they have a fly rod, maybe they come to a tie and night, maybe they have some shirts and hats. Shirts and hats are always the first thing for a lot of people, right? But uh, yeah, <laughs> wearing the hat. You're easy. surely not gonna catch fish yeah, unless you but, look like a fisher. But, uh, but boom, you fall in. They just fall off that ledge and just say, I'm going in. In that season of life, what did that look like for you where you were just like, I'm going to make the sacrifices I need to make to? Because you were sharing a little bit on the dock earlier today. I mean, Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I'm 43, so I, I, there's been a, there's been, it's been a long season growing up so far. I think we're probably into the fall of my growing up season, so I'm maybe next year I'm going to be an adult. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I think it's, a, it's about just doing what, you know, making, making the sacrifice to do what you really want and spending time to reflect and decide what it is that you really want and what's really important to you. Um, Zig Ziglar came to my, I don't know if it was kindergarten, first grade, for some reason he was doing a speech in my town and he came to our little school and he talked about, uh, he gave all of us a little wooden nickel that was a, said T-U-I-T on it. It was a round to it. And he said, the next time someone says, I'll do that when I get around to it, give them this. And <laughs> now you have a round to it. And so to me, I've always been about making life happen. Like I would much rather make something happen and it turn out negative than wait for something to happen and not know if it would or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that just striving for enjoying life, you know, I feel like that's why we were here is to enjoy life and share it with others. And so I'm committed to enjoying this time that I'm, that I'm graced with here on earth and, and try to share that, that joy with as many other people as possible. So for you, you're in Tampa Bay, you've been introduced to tarpon fishing, you've joined a prestigious boat club, right? You have, you're, you own a kayak, Mm -hmm. you figure out how to get a boat and you decide metaphorically, it's time for me to pull out that round to it little token in my life and jump into guiding well, I what mean, did that look like you're, you're talking about like a 12 year span there yeah so i uh, got into <laughs> fly fishing and then probably 12 months later i was divorced which was a, a huge blow um my my parents have been together 
uh, 50 years next year. Oh, wow. So to get a divorce was a, it was kind of a ground shaker for me. And I had a tough 14 to 18 months, um, made some money off that house. And I went to my buddies, Dr. Nielsen and Fred Glenn and I'm a Tommy Locke. And I'm like, how do I get good at being a tarpon fisherman? Because that's currently all I want to do in life. Hmm. And they're like, well, you should probably go to the Keys. And so I had a campsite in Pinnacamp or Bayahonda State Park for the better part of 11 months. Wow. I blew through the entire profits of my first house in Dunedin, uh, as well as acquired my first Hughes skiff. And that's when I kind of decided that this is really what I want to do. You know, um, Tommy Locke was the first guy that I had ever met that actually seemed to be supporting his family and making a happy living and and being, from what I could see, a a fantastic dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was a fishing guide, and I was like, "Man, that is actually a real th- that that might be a possibility." Yeah, and so that slowly evolved, and then I met my my wife, Meredith, and uh, we got pregnant. I was I was I was working in the construction industry. We got pregnant, and I had already gotten my captain's license, but I'd never used it. And so we have a child and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to work in the construction industry and build restaurants and breweries and whatever whatever need to be to provide a comfortable life for my child and family. And my wife about five years ago was, was really the catalyst. She felt like that I was spending so much time at work and fishing that I was neglecting some of my responsibilities that she felt like were important, mm-hmm. not only to her, the family, but also she felt like they're important to me, which was being a father and a husband. And we went and had dinner and she was like, I, I think we got to make some changes in life. My initial thought was she wants me to get rid of the boat and stop fishing. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is, it's going to be tough, but at the same time, she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, this this little boy that I'm responsible for growing up is hands down the most pressing thing in my life. And what she suggested was that I commit 100% to making my living on the water. Wow. And, and be a full-time captain. Yeah. And so I absolutely agreed with her. Even though I knew that she did not know quite what she was saying, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if she'd make the same decision. <laughs> <laughs> She's, to, I'm sure today. there's days that you, um, you building restaurants. You know, looks when, pretty when, good. when we started when we started dating tarpon season, I told her I was like, it's four months long. You know, this is like fairly crazy, serious obsession for four months, and. She's said several times that I was not incredibly truthful. Maybe I wasn't even truthful to myself, but tarpon season is is 12 months long. Three months, we're just not chasing them. Mm -hmm. We're in this part of the world, we're thinking about something else. Yeah. So I'm flying to Costa Rica on two days from now to go see if they're there. (laughs) I, I think they're there. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to go back to you're at this campsite, recently divorced, going through a tough time in life. What was that season like? Tell me more about no, that, that season. No, that was a tough season. That was probably the toughest season of my life. Um, I was drinking too much. Um, just really wasn't happy with myself or the world in general. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm typically a, a positive um, I, I really prefer to look at the good side of things mm-hmm. in everything. Um, I feel like you can either look at how things went wrong or you can look at how to pull them together and go forward. 
and at that point in time in my life it was it was just tough i really didn't uh have a direction and uh her and my and, and my son kind of kind of brought that direction back to me mm. um and regrounded me called point of attachment changed my point of attachment um I, in hindsight it was really just a self-pity self-loathing mm. stage in life that mm. um you know ultimately i felt like i'd put put myself there to a certain extent mm. and it, it took some some growing up and some you know one of the things that i like about the outdoors is mm. that i feel like you see the universe and god and um you know you spending time alone in nature is is healing mm -hmm. you know not even necessarily alone but spending spending time trying to intentionally get in touch with nature yeah is is healing for your mind and your and your body were you mostly alone down at that campsite i mean yes because because yes. I, I picture you I, I at mean, a primitive campsite i was at a i was at a primitive campsite with my skiff um I'm a pretty social guy, so I was definitely friends with the neighbors and yeah. and knew several people in the community down there after eleven months. Yeah, sure. But for the most part, I, I was I was I was one hundred percent down there by myself. Wow. So there was many days spent push pulling that boat with nobody on the front and 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 still that's one of the things that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love spending a day on the boat by myself mm -hmm. it's cleansing yeah so you know obviously that was a significant time in your life for your development just as a person but you know when you spend that much time dedicated to learning about tarpon and learning water and and just becoming a better angler i mean in what ways did that season of your life shape you as a captain and angler I think I probably more just reflecting um, on what I was doing. You know, I, I had I kind of looked at nature that way my entire life, but that was a time where I could kind of reflect and 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 start to analyze like why is this? Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, why are you sitting here at this pinch point? Why are you paying attention to the the way the water's flowing um i feel like i kind of had the time to set back and and just slow everything down and mm -hmm. and start to think about why these things were what they were mm -hmm. with with you now like just looking back did, was that for you a catalyst in in really going so obviously the decision for you to go all in came later in life but you almost could be a full-time guide to yourself, I guess, in a way, when you dedicate 11 months to fishing. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, and Vince Stagura, he really was one of them that, uh, I, I, I owe Vince a bunch for just kind of pointing out. He was like, Court, you are a fishing guide. He was like, you know, you take me fishing, you take, and, and, and Vince is also a accomplished, you know, he, he's, he's spent a lot of time on the water. So, mm. um, but he he was really like this is this is what you are and and you need to just embrace that and go for it mm. and so i'd say between him and my wife they were really the you know driving forces um, my my wife put in more sacrifice than vince yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just like to put that out there in case she's listening. In case she's listening. <laughs> I'm sure she will. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, and to me, like, you know, like, I'm, I don't know, it's it's fun to sit down and have these conversations because we were talking earlier about just, I think, the art of getting to know people and hearing their story and realizing mm -hmm. you can learn from people's stories and their experiences. I and, think you can learn from everybody that you interact with if mm -hmm. you look at it the right way. 100% agree. And when I met you, it's like when you first meet somebody, it's like I met you at the Skinny Water Culture Christmas party, but I'd heard about you a bunch before that. And it's like you meet somebody and usually the first picture you get is like, what are they doing now? And it's like, this is Cord. Mm -hmm. 
he's got this amazing setup it's in Tampa Bay. Like Vince right. is like, there's this like, what do you guys call it? The guide house? Yeah. So, um, I really like the idea of like more of a inclusive vacation, uh, not even necessarily inclusive, but just immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first moved down and I, once I, once I finally got a boat, I started taking Doc Nielsen, mm-hmm. any chance we could get to take him out fishing. And, uh, I never stood on the front of the boat. Um, I, was, I was always pushing the boat. And mm-hmm. so kind of his way of paying that back to me was he would take and hire a guide for a week a year. And so typically we would go down and fish with Tommy and in, in Boca Grande, get a guide and you know, you fish eight hours in the day. And it seemed like we fished with a lot of different guides and it was you get to the water at 9 a.m and you get out the water at 5 a.m and then you're kind of on your own for dinner and you either go home and go to bed or you're just twiddling your thumbs you don't really know what to do mm-hmm. and so i think that when you look at mountaineering guides when you look at Ranch, ranch type lifestyle um some of the lodges where it's like what do you want to do at any point in time because i would just as soon go fishing and so we started meeting these younger anglers that were like we want to fish when the fishing's good but we also want to have the experience where we're sitting around let's tie some flies let's talk about leaders let's put a loop on the table you know kind of Andy Mills's trick we're learning how to pull on a fish put a three pound weight on the bottom of a line and try to pull on that and let's talk about how you hold your rod and where to flex the rod you know flexing that bottom third of it rather than the tip and you can you can you can pull on fish a lot harder mm-hmm. and so it just became more I felt like there was a need for having an inclusive you know people come in and they pretty much live with the guides for Mm. four days and then they fly back and go back to whatever their lifestyle is before that and i kind of thought it was harebrained and you know wes siegler was one of the ones that came down early and he was like this is awesome you know it's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of us that want to come in and really fish Mm -hmm. like it's nice to go out and have a fancy dinner but that's what I already do. And so to have the opportunity to come down and fish hard and get the, get a full experience, um, you know, cram as much into four days as you can mm-hmm. and not have to worry about how to get from the airport to the lodging, not to have to figure out how to get to the ramp in the morning. Um, have the guide right there with you so the guide's the one that's like hey let's you know time to rally let's go yeah and so far so far it's turning out pretty pretty successfully i'm I'm super excited with the amount of positive feedback we've gotten from it yeah when i first heard about i thought that was really cool because i thought it was i don't know um like you said i think it it attracts a certain type of person. We've done bachelor parties or spring breaks or, you know, there's a, a large group of us apparently that really would like to fish as much as possible on yeah. this vacation. And you were saying like, sometimes it's interesting with your fishery because you might say, Hey, we're going to fish till lunch. Then we're going to hang out and we're going to tie flies and we're going to go back out at night and hit some docks. Yeah. I mean, so you, you have a 24 hour fishery. We here. are super blessed here in Tampa Bay where, um, almost any wind we can find somewhere to hide. Um, if we get out in the daytime and it's windy and it's overcast and, and you're just beating your head against a wall rather than doing that for eight hours, and not being successful 
we cannot be successful for four or five hours. Come in, get some rest, you know, throw some meat on the Traeger, have, have dinner. Hopefully the meat was already on the Traeger before we went out. But come in, have some, have some dinner, relax, and then jump back out at nighttime. And we, we've got so many options within an hour drive from here mm-hmm. that somehow we're going to get you out of the, out of the wind and into something in, fun. Into, yeah. into some kind of fish. So if if it's good with you, I want to jump into my rapid fire questions. All right, rapid. You have up. an amazing you have an amazing story, <laughs> and um, and we could we could talk a lot longer about all that. And, um, but the, my my first one is so one of the things that um, I I do sometimes going into an interview is I reach out to the initial contact Vince Stagura of Skinny Water Culture, mayor of Tampa Bay, and uh, that's I'm trying to make that a thing. All right, and uh, we'll see if it works. I don't know. And uh, I think that's a that's a newly designed position. It, yeah. <laughs> Vince could do it though. I believe in him. I believe in him. <laughs> um, yeah. So so all right. Before you get into that, I feel like uh, one of Vince's biggest strong points is, and, and I owe Vince a bunch, is recognizing genuine people um I, I i've such a crew of people that i've met through him that um i, I feel like he's really good at, at recognizing people that are mm-hmm. super passionate about what it is that they want to do and putting them in touch with other people that have similar interests or at least that similar type drive yeah i would even go a step further and say i think vince attracts genuine people yeah but i agree that he can he can recognize genuine people and to me i I mean just really grateful for for his friendship and he said if you interview court you got to ask the story can't even imagine what you're about to say of you falling asleep (laughs) on the trolling motor (laughs) i I have a tendency of falling asleep sometimes um (laughs) at least once a week I mean, yeah, I try to do at least sleep once a week, but, uh, all right. So I, that, that was after I was guiding and, uh, especially my first season, I was, I was just any trip that came in. I couldn't say no mm-hmm. because I had left a job that paid pretty well and had jumped into a career that's really kind of sporadic it's hit or miss and so um country saying when the make hay when the sun hay shines season. yeah it's, it's hay season and so you got to get after it when you can and so i think i had ran a night trip and then an all-day tarpon trip and Vince was like i don't even remember who we fished with that night he was like so-and-so's in town. We got to go fishing tonight. So I'm like, all right, I'm beat, but I think I got it in me. Yeah. And so we're, we're pulling up to a dock light. I'm on the, on the regular motor. And I'm like, put the trolling motor down. I turn the regular motor off. And next thing you know, this is probably more Vince's side of the story than mine. But he's like, hey, we're coming in hot. Coming in hot. <laughs> Too close to cast. He looks back. And he's like, "Court," <laughs> and I'm just kind of leaned over on the platform. <laughs> I look at him, and he's like, "Dude, were you asleep?" <laughs> and I was, "Yes, yes, I was. I, I did fall asleep there for a second. <laughs> so, um, he's he's definitely been there for the times when we we went just a little bit too hard a little too hard a little too hard <laughs> i can picture him like hey, like the first time like, hey man come in hot coming hot. that's hey, the line coming <laughs> coming in hot so it's funny how much harder that gets each year as as, as i age it's funny you know, yeah, it works that way yeah. in, in in your late 20s like skipping a night's sleeps like skipping lunch you know no big deal at all and uh Still, I like to think that I can skip a night's sleep without without really missing a beat. But you do that twice in a week, three weeks in a row, and it's it's overwhelming now. 
Yeah. So I, I, that's that's one of my goals for this year is to kind of slow my I'm, I'm slow my schedule down a little bit. Yeah. Is to try to take some time even during tarpon season to spend time with the family. Mm. Um, not be out there on the weekends fighting the jet skis and trying to kill myself you know use <laughs> use that time more productively yeah and take my family out there you know throw a tube behind this skiff if you want to let's spend that that time more quality mm-hmm. um but at the same time I, I feel like the first couple years in any profession you have to give it 100 percent Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I know you interviewed Brian, Jill, but uh, I I owe him a ton. He uh, when when he when they got their opportunity to do their last segment with Animal Planet, he really helped me a ton. With all of a sudden, he was in a position where he was going to have to be traveling for the next twelve months, and he already had his tarpon season booked. And he and I had spent a lot of time together figuring out the tarpon fishery. And, and he, he gave me a lot of trips that first year that mm-hmm. really made my first year as a guide a lot less stressful. And, and there's, there's a ton of other guides in the area. Not going to go through all the names, but um, the older guides in this area made my life way easier. Mm-hmm. when i when i threw my my hat in the ring to be a guide and so i i really owe my ability to say that i'm trying to scale back my schedule a little bit during tarpon season to the the predecessors for putting me in that position yeah so you know one of the things that that i really um like about hanging out with you and i, I like hanging out with a lot of the the people that tend to be around Vince is you're just a, you talked about genuine good people and I feel that about you. And one of the things that's real interesting though, is there's, it feels like in fly fishing, a lot of times there's a stigma of just people being stuffy and people being jerks. And I'm not saying not get frustrated, but why, why do you think that there's it's, it feels like there's so many jerks in fly fishing or fishing and outdoors in general? First of all, thank you for the compliment. That's uh, a huge compliment. But I don't know that I don't know that there's more jerks in fly fishing or in the outdoors because I drove to Orlando for to help set up for Surf Expo, and it seemed like there were probably more on I four than <laughs> there are on the tarpon flat by like three so yeah. not not a ton more on i4 than there are on the tarpon flat but a few more but i feel like maybe we notice it more hmm. because we are trying to be out there to you know, commune with nature or, or to interact with nature to be in nature and so it, it's it's more obvious when someone is or we're more sensitive to someone impeding our space mm-hmm. you know you get cut off on i4 eh, it's just kind of part of the deal with having to drive to orlando yeah but when i'm out here before dawn to watch the sun come up mm-hmm. to try to see these fish coming from half a mile away and then someone's too close for me or you know doing donuts around the fish on their jet ski pointing at these huge fish cast your line over here it makes i think i think sometimes maybe we're just more sensitive to it yeah it's it's there's a higher contrast yeah and we're also super intense about our addiction or our passion for chasing these fish so i think sometimes we just get butt hurt a little bit easier than we probably should yeah, and you know, chances yeah. are that guy that cut you off really isn't doing that to rain on your parade. Mm-hmm. He just got a little bit too caught in the moment, and 
honestly wasn't paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah. And may or may not be really giving you grief. Yeah, and I think truthfully that because the things that we care care a lot about, we tend to be the most insecure about. And so there's also like everything feels like a bigger deal. He 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 threw his hands up Trick, at me. Tricking a you know dinosaur I mean, to eat a feather is incredibly tough. And so anything that we can blame it on, it's easier to blame it on that. Yeah, but but and what I'm saying is, I think that you know because it's a human nature thing too. But it's like when you feel like somebody is sliding you or somebody is Mm -hmm. acting like you're not legit or they're not giving you the credit you deserve or whatever it one to your point i think which is really good it rips you out of communing with nature yeah because now all of a sudden you're just now you're back to keeping up with the joneses oh they don't think i'm legit they don't think and it's like oh do you gotta get a better boat or nicer rods or yeah or right i'm new you know yeah how dare i not have been doing this for 20 years yeah how dare me you know Um, those types of things, but yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. Like, you know, just to, to, to think about, maybe it just stands out a little bit more. I think that's a great point. And, and just tied to that, I think one of the things that, that I've come to learn since starting this show, and I think appreciate a little bit more is seeing how, okay, if you really want the water to be a better place, then you need to invest in the next generation. And that's one of the things I really like about outfitters and guide shops and, Mm -hmm. and fly shops is because you know tonight so i show up tonight there's pizza there's beer there's frigate rum it's a good time mm-hmm. everyone's hanging out there's people there who are tying really tight flies there's a guy sitting at the table with me just tying beautiful flies and there's yeah. people who are tying their first flies their you know, first fly my cousin came with right. me he's new to, to fly tying um and then and building that community around the positive side of it the guy that is tying really nice flies and counting how many times his thread goes around the feather before he changes to the next material is more than willing. He's excited to help the person that has never tied a fly before. Mm-hmm. And I think so concentrating on building that side of the community will help yeah. eliminate or, or lessen the amount of aggression on on the flat and and negative attitude yeah and it's an opportunity to teach people the right way to do things and you know fly fishing really is a community i mean it really um i've seen it from you know veterans to uh spinal cord injuries to um you know just people that didn't really have a point of attachment or it has become their new point of attachment to get out in nature and really be able to, I think, I think the act of attaching a feather or some materials to a piece of steel and then going out and tricking a fish into thinking that that is what their prey is, is super rewarding. Like yeah. the, the whole process is just awesome. And yeah. then the fact that most of the time we kiss them and let them go is, is there's something romantic about it. It's yeah, communing with nature. With with building that community, you know, it's it's obvious to me that you've you've done a good job with you know, I know that you're super committed to to trying to build that up here. And even when we were in ICAST a couple months ago, you left drove all the way back here to do a fly casting night and then drove back to hang out with all of us at iCast to you. It's I obviously, don't, I don't know that I've done a super good job of building that, Yeah, but I am super you're committed. You're committed. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Talk to, what have you learned so far in your commitment? You know, ah, oh, man, I, I think like if you want to do a community building thing like that or, or do a com- community, um, workshop or anything like that, it's just consistency. It's, it's, you know, everybody knows the third Wednesday of the month, I'm going to be at the brewery with fly rods. And if anybody wants to learn how to cast a fly rod, awesome. If you already know how to cast a fly rod, come on up and, you know, we'll put a quarter wager or something on, I bet I can outcast you. And I 
really don't care whether you outcast me or I outcast you. I think it's fun that we're getting together and talking yeah. about it and trying to hone both of our skills and mm -hmm. overall just trying to better the entire community mm -hmm. and in, in a positive way. All right, real rapid fire. Shoot. Real rapid fire. Outside of tarpon, favorite fish. Ah, oh, man, because that's the one. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely snook's huge. Mm -hmm. I, I love, especially here in Tampa Bay, our snook fishery is, is amazing. Um, daytime, nighttime, we just have a super cool fishery. Um, but I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm the kid that if we didn't have any fly rods and, and we're here on the water, I'll, I'll go down there and fish with that Zebco 202 with a hot dog on it if that's all that we have. Yeah. Um, so I like to I like to fish. Period. Yeah. Smallmouth bass is still one of my favorites. Like chasing a smallmouth in the stream, being able to see that fish hiding underneath a washed out root system is awesome. Yeah. But then machaca in Costa Rica is is such a fishery that you know these fish are vegetarians well they're not vegetarians but they a large part of their diet is these nuts that fall off the chilamate tree and they aggressively eat top water and mm -hmm. they jump and a four pound fish that you need to have an eight weight fly rod for because they're gonna they're bulldogs is ridiculously awesome and I would love to have some exposure to the blue water game. Yeah. Like I, would, I would love to see a marlin eat a fly. Yeah. Well, I have some so stuff. Up I don't even really that. know. I don't even really know what the next best fish is. I do believe the tarpons are right there though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, the blue water thing, you know, flats fishing and, and fly fishing is kind of the first group or community or whatever, um, that I got inroads with. Mm hmm but I have some stuff in the works with blue water and yeah. I'm really excited about it because yeah. I don't know much about it, but, um, I, that I, was, I would love to, I would love like to do some mate. Like I would, <laughs> I would, I would happily mate on some blue water trips with the agreement that I get to have my fly rod on board for, if that opportunity is perfect, I get to yeah. take a shot at it because there's a uh, Chris Sheeter was was a a, sh a friend of mine not not for a long time but um he recently passed away and, and he was one of the guys pushing the the billfish with the fly rod and he did it for a long time and he he's some of the stories i heard from him were really really impressive and yeah. I'd, I'd like to i'd like to explore that game a little bit more I think that I'm eventually going to get rated like the worst rapid fire show ever though. <laughs> right. Yeah. The slowest that's, rapid that's okay. fire ever. I can't get rid of it. It just, so my next one is, um, so obviously for you, you know, one of the things that's interesting is like you have a high, high, high loyalty and commitment to skinny water culture, which one of the sponsors of the show. But I also know that you, you share that same commitment with other brands. But it's interesting because you have, I was fishing with Ty Hebs in Louisiana and there were some guys out there and he, he called them like five percenters. And I was like, what are you talking about? Or something like, something like five, three percenters, five, I don't know what the yeah. percentage. He's like, well, basically, this is my Ty voice, but basically <laughs> they get 5% off and they'll put the decal on the boat and act right. like they're sponsored. So, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, like that's like fake loyalty. You're not loyal. You're trying to use a brand to make yourself look better. And then there's like, a real like hey i see what and yeah doing. i wish i had a really good tie voice um <laughs> but talk to me about for you like so for for me where does I, that come from um no plugs just yeah mentality. no uh, for me it's um i'm in an interesting position because i own my business my skiff is mine I get to make the decision of every piece of equipment that goes on that boat. And so 
I love having a personal relationship with the people that made or the people that represent what's on my what's on my boat what my business is about and so the interpersonal relationships are so huge to me i haven't went on a letter writing campaign to to get sponsors i know apparently once you get your six pack and an instagram you can go out and start soliciting sponsors a letter writing campaign uh, it's, it's never been what's appealed to me yeah. um I, 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 you know, I, I don't have very many sponsors. Maybe I should get a letter writing campaign. But um, the sponsors that I have, I, I feel like are what I, what I oft sometimes refer to as bar fight friends. So if I went into a bar and 10 people were kicking the daylights out of my buddy that, makes whatever you know but he's my buddy first i'm it's going to be 10 people kicking the daylights out of two of us we're in this together and you know to go out and buy your supplies isn't that big a deal mm -hmm. like your you know most of your equipment doesn't cost that much in the grand scheme of things and so the loyalty and the the friendship and just knowing that you're supporting something that you believe in to me is is a lot bigger mm -hmm. than being able to put somebody's sticker on your truck. Hmm. Give me some beard grooming tips because you're one of the few guests that have a bigger beard than me. Uh, my wife owns a soap company and so I get to experiment well she gets to experiment with uh oils like essential oils okay so i like to put like grapefruit essential oil and rub it on my mustache like down on my beard it just makes you in a better mood like if you huh. just have grapefruit essence coming through your nose when you breathe it just makes it's better you feel than better you ever eat pizza and you have pizza essence i like that too but like, i love but it gets bad though because you get cheap it's like right. a nasty cheese thing. well i mean you gotta wipe your beard you know yeah, you gotta yeah. use a napkin too but <laughs> wait <laughs> what's a little it bit called? of resident a, a little napkin. bit of residue in there yeah <laughs> you know your shirt <laughs> just get it out of your beard do you ever have do you ever have uh, beard dandruff to have but uh the the trick with that is just to keep that thing moisturized. Just put some bacon grease in it. Bacon grease. All right, now. You eat bacon you in trim, the morning, you right? Eat sometimes, breakfast? Sometimes. You sometimes eat breakfast? I sometimes eat breakfast. I'm in and out. Yeah. I intermittent I'm a breakfast man. Okay. You're yeah. passionate about it. Eggs and bacon. Do you trim your own beard? Or do you pay somebody? Ah, uh, so I've, I'm, I'm kind of a tightwad. So I pay somebody like every fifth time. It's kind of like tuning your chainsaw. Okay. Like I can tune my chainsaw, but about every fifth time that carburetor, I just need to take it to like a whisperer <laughs> and get them to like tune it up right. Yeah. And I'll maintain it for a few months. Yeah. And so I I do have a have a okay barber in town, and she's she's top notch. I consider it like a hour-long vacation once every couple months hour long man you go in they put the warm wet okay. towel around your neck and straight razor you up I and it's you. clean and then it's easy to follow that line like ah I you can you. semi maintain that edge i had that conversation with uh, my motor mechanic the other day because <laughs> i do my own oil right. and I, right. I you know i do he's my like, own once in a while stuff. you got to bring it in well, and i'm get like it hey i'm gonna bring you i'm gonna bring it in for this and he's like oh you should bring it in for oil change I'm like hey man i ain't driving all the way out here right. and spending money i know to how to something. change oil. i know how to change oil right. like I'm, yeah so that i got all right that's that's helpful <laughs> um so so my uh so my last question i mean uh, you know we could talk on and on about you know things but you know, when you think back to... We are supposed to be up to go fishing yeah. in a few hours. Maybe we just pull all night or just to prove that we can. Right. Um, Four-hour podcast. But, uh, you know, when we uh, when, when you think back to, okay, you're, you're showing up to Florida and you're at the very beginning of your relationship with this water and this, mm -hmm. this fishery and this career, really, what advice would you give yourself day one showing up in Florida? 
don't hesitate. Like once once you realize that something is what you want to do, mm. don't wait for it. Just just insist on pushing the issue. Like, like make it happen. Um, when I was a kid, like if I knew I was gonna get swats, mm. you know, and I grew I grew up in a spanking household, but if I if I knew my dad was gonna spank me, I want it now. Like let's get it let's get it over with. Yeah, make the change. Um, so I, I feel like I spent some time being scared of what if instead of thinking how to make it happen. Mm. And so I, I would tell myself to trust, trust uh, yourself, trust the universe, trust God. Um, I, I do try to pray about decisions mm -hmm. in my life. And so I think spend some time, make sure it's what you want, make sure you're wanting things for the right reason. Mm -hmm. But once you realize what you want, go get it. Don't wait. Get around to it. Get around to it. Whole circle, the man. words thanks. of Zig Ziglar, get around to it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for hanging out, man. I look forward to uh, fishing tomorrow. What a and, blast. And uh, talking more down the road. I can't wait, I can't to, wait to come up and hang out with you and your dad. Oh, it's going to be I'm fun. So looking forward to spending some time up there with you guys. It's going to be awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for the time today and uh, look forward to sitting down again and doing another podcast. Absolutely. Soon. Hope everybody has a great day. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.